0: Welcome, my friends, to another episode of Is That Really Legal? with Eric Rubin. Today, you're gonna hear me talk with Heather Thomas. You may know that name. If you had a picture of Farrah Fawcett on your wall as a teenager, you probably had a picture of Heather Thomas, too, in a bikini, uh, possibly. She starred on shows like The Fall Guy and movies like Zapped. And she grew up in the Hollywood area She has a lot of cool stories to tell. And at some point, she decided she was done with Hollywood, at least in that way. We talk about uh, the fact that she was stalked. We talk about stalking laws. We talk about trout and fly fishing. Uh, We talk about a lot of different things, and she's fun. I do want to tell you the sound quality isn't that great uh, for reasons that I don't need to go into, but the bottom line is I felt very lucky to talk to Heather. so much fun she's funny she's a deeply caring person uh we became friends on twitter and you're just gonna really enjoy her you'll also enjoy some abe's muffins because they are allergen free you put them in your face and uh, they taste as good as anything you won't even know the difference and if you have a kid who can't eat certain things they can probably eat abe's muffins and they taste so much better the Carbo Box they come in unlike some of those other quote-unquote healthy options do you like this show well then subscribe tell your friends share it you can rate this podcast also uh the usual things you do with all podcasts but for now sit back relax and enjoy my interview with the amazing and lovely Heather Thomas Well, Heather Thomas, welcome to Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. I'm delighted to finally see you face to face. Oh, we have been friends um, on Twitter for quite some time. And, you know, what's funny about Twitter is when I first started participating, it was fun. We told jokes. We, We would get excited when a celebrity like yourself actually interacted with us. And then something shifted, and we were dealing with Nazis and Trump, and it got really dark and unpleasant. Bots, Bots yeah, and Russians and whatever. And you remained a constant, pleasant uh, experience for several of us. Um, and you you know me and a friend of ours, Jamie, who's a brilliant uh, oh. chef and restaurateur, and, and We really appreciate your good natured, just who you are. Sorry, I'm talking over you. What were you going to say? It sounded like.
1: He's a brilliant teacher as well.
0: Who's that? Jamie. Jamie? Yeah.
1: Got the dog locked out and he's crying.
0: (laughs) So, just so people know, uh, I spoke with you just a little bit before and we're managing a dog situation, which, you know, is just one of those things that when you are. Uh, a superstar and a celebrity. Occasionally, you have issues involving dogs and whatnot. But we're gonna, we're just gonna include it all, which yeah. I think is fun. I think that if people were expecting a standard Heather Thomas interview, we're not doing that. Heather has talked about Lee Majors. She's talked about a lot of other uh, people that she's worked yeah, with you're and you're things she's done. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but but. Of course, I just want to remind people that you broke into most of our consciousness in the 80s uh, as a very attractive actress. And part of your job was to be the eye candy. I mean,
1: yes, yes, yes.
0: <laughs> well, I wasn't going to say it that way, but. but it what, little- and as I had said to you before, there's more pictures of you in the bikini on the internet than maybe any other person uh, I've ever thought of. But you, what I think is important and why I think it's good that you're on this show is to remind people that, um, you know, uh, before we were talking about the Me Too movement, um, there were a lot of handsy guys uh, early on in a young woman's life. And uh, I know you had to navigate those waters. And you... I think that's part of what has made you such a strong and successful woman. I don't know if you want to talk about any of that. I'm not asking you to name names, but that has had to have some kind of impact on who you are, right?
1: I think, and I'm actually writing a screenplay about this right now. Uh, When I was young, coming of age, there's a time when, uh, I think it happens around 12, 13, 13, Where uh, you realize men are no longer looking at you like, hi, oh, you're so cute. And it's more like a lion looking at an umbrella. (laughs) And you learn to navigate those, you know, parties your parents have, uh, workplaces when you're doing a summer job. I I worked at a club in Los Angeles that shall remain nameless because it still exists, where I was a a lifeguard, but you had to do a certain amount of time sometimes to cover the women in the nursery. And dads would just be drunk and try and smash you up against the wall when you were 14, 15. Um, Girls learn at a very young age how to dodge and weave. And you Mm -hmm. shouldn't have to. Uh, sometimes it happens so fast that there's nobody you can tell. And then it's the he said, she said thing. And you have to weigh out, you know, whether or not you need to bring it to light where 90% of the time you should, but sometimes it's not going to be to your advantage. It, it, it was, and when I was a kid, it was your fault which is very different from now. Yeah. Uh, somewhat different. Always your fault. What were you wearing? What did you do? Why did you put yourself in that situation? Yeah. I, I, you know, so, and, and uh, where there was no, when I was a kid, there was no such thing as sexual harassment. Right. I mean, I've spoken uh, to him. I'm sorry. Who gets when he has a couple of drinks. I
0: spoke with Kim Masters of The Hollywood Reporter about dealing with, um, oh, the Miramax guy. I'm blanking on him now. Um, But, you know, he's in prison. Um, Harvey, Harvey Weinstein. And just that culture and the way that he even recently felt he could talk to her, a woman reporter who was kind of, you know, who was on his trail uh, shortly before everything broke. But I've also spoken when the Me Too movement started to really happen. I spoke with a lot of my woman friends. I don't want to name anybody and close close people to me, and they said, "Oh yeah, this stuff happened all the time." Like, like you said, being thrown against the wall. I knew someone who worked oh, for a dentist. I'm, I had no idea these things are. I, I you know, as a guy,
1: um, and, I wasn't Hollywood exclusively. No, no, fun, but. Not to the same degree, because I think people are beginning to become more wary of it. But I think if they could get away with it, it would still go on.
0: I'm sure things are still going on. And we're, we haven't heard the last of anything. Um, you have to
1: laugh it off. In my day, you, you had to laugh it off. Um, or, or get, out of, get, out of, get out of this line of work if you don't like it. So, I
0: mean, I'm not going to ask specifics, but we all know the casting couch existed or something like the casting couch. I, I'm sure that was, you know, well, it must have been really especially hard when you were being asked to do the kind of roles you were doing, which, you know, the public wanted. It's a, it, what's interesting to me is, it's not like there were three men who hired you, uh, to, you know, be the character that you were in several situations and nobody, it's not like the world objected. That was the world at that time. And everybody wanted to see you in a bikini or however you were. And that was the way our society was.
1: It was a character like Comedia Del
0: It was a spot character. Uh but I love I love
1: that you say that. I, I yeah, please. Sorry. It, it it was a stock character. It was just something in the the the. There's a woman character that's going to have a certain. She won't wear a bra or she. You know that that was somebody that uh would be a lot of the major roles that were available to me.
0: I mean, Goldie Hawn got her start doing that on Laughing, right?
1: Yeah, she was shaking it in a bikini. I'm laughing.
0: Um, and
1: that she wasn't terribly was funny. Yeah, she had but an excellent. Laugh. <laughs> she did, but, but included in it was the bikini part. You will be very funny, and you're a great comedian, and you got to look good in the bikini.
0: Yeah, I thank God have never had to face the bikini test. Um, I wouldn't have passed in any in any way shape or form um but when you were you thinking of leaving that behind and there were circumstances around you deciding to not be acting anymore that were the result of an accident and i think am i wrong see see i read things and then i'm wrong so you you worked pretty steadily on a series of TV shows. You know, you would guest on a couple of things. you have, I saw you were in some mini series and some other things. At some point, though, you just you decided you weren't going to act anymore, or what what were the circumstances?
1: I had so many restraining orders and so many stalkers. And I didn't need the money, which is a big Motivating factor. Sure. And I had two little girls. And I took a little time off and I liked it. <laughs> and I uh, started writing and finding other creative outlets. And I got very involved in a lot of activism. I, I lobbied for the NRDC
0: I, uh, Can you tell me what that was? I, you lobbied yeah, for what?
1: Bruce Valanche, where we provided psychi- free psychiatrists for AIDS patients. Um, we, uh, I was able to do a lot of things within the community that I felt fulfilled by, and I felt that needed my attention, and my girls needed my attention. And then I had three little girls. So, you know, it was a lot of um, personal decisions that, you know, there was a guy that jumped my fence with a Bowie knife this big and was coming down the driveway and my dogs thought it was Christmas and he was ended up wearing them and they broke several bones. And then the bodyguard, you know, there was like a whole, you had a whole thing living here the bodyguard came running up and he threw the guy out the gate so he wouldn't bleed out on the property. It was, and, and then, you, the, yeah, you want to
0: have your drama on the stage or on camera. You don't want to have it in your life.
1: Yeah, It showed everything but the, but the, but the street number, you know, of my home. And so at that point I felt I could take a break. You <laughs> the know, last 20 years, then 30 years
0: We talked about the fact that Rebecca Schaefer was murdered in 1989 uh, as a result of a stalking situation. And that is really when it it wasn't even when people like you were getting stalked and these terrible things happened. It took, unfortunately, Ms. Schaefer's uh, death. And even now, I think that it's taken... Unfortunately, it seems like they only listen to men. Like it took George Clooney telling people to stop taking his picture or something. Uh, that it really, it, there's been a shift. I don't know. Look, nobody follows me there's with the camera. So,
1: paparazzi, they're not going to cause you to have a car accident anymore. Unless it, I, I, who knows what uh, would happen if, if, uh, Prince Harry and Meghan, you know, had baby Lilith, you know, and they were walking up to Neiman Marcus, you know. You, you just don't know. Right, I'm sorry, I laughed a little bit because... I, I do the, the, the rabidness of the paparazzi as much now, but they still, you know, will have the telephoto cameras and the drones that will go over your house. And,
0: I'm laughing because your dog came into frame and was looking at you there's something in your dog's mouth and your dog looked at you so lovingly and with expectation of attention. And um that's a very beautiful dog, by the way. This
1: is the yapper.
0: What's what's chance the rapper? Oh the yapper. I like
1: it. He's a good
0: boy. Awesome. Um but your activism, it, it's it's interesting to me that Look, you are the kind of person who could easily go, I'm done. I, I stopped. I enjoyed fame until I didn't enjoy fame. And I'm out. But you are very active on Twitter as yourself. I don't think you ever have somebody tweeting for you. And you include some of your friends like Morgan Fairchild and you, I've been noticing, have been tweeting together. And you are um, as political as anyone I know and you're not afraid to speak your mind and point out injustice. And I know that myself and my friends really appreciate that
1: about you. Oh, well, I think we're all trying to do our part. I think this year is a particularly crucial year to be political and to care about what's going on. Uh, it's, it's fun, there's there so many puns and so many jokes the art to be made, uh, there's never, you know, we're never at a loss for material, but uh, it, it's pretty crucial this year. I, I think that's when, when I, I had an account since 2018, but I really didn't start tweeting a lot until 2020, I think. And, I know uh,
0: I know that I was looking forward to speaking to you tonight because I had been screaming at the television earlier today. Oh, today, today. Oh, and Ari Melber, who I like, who's on MSNBC, had a Trump lawyer on. And as you know, I'm an attorney with over 30 years experience, and uh, you're married to an attorney. And um, this guy is just scum. And the way he was hemming and hawing about the election was uh, I was, I can't believe Ari put him on I think Ari is trying to show that he's even-handed but the reality is all that guy did was muddy the water and take us off the point of what the hearings were today I don't that's expect
1: point, that that's why he's on there they all take that training they all take that training where they talk over you and and the whataboutism and the and the, and the and the diversion tactics they all take a training they all they all come out of the same shop it's so predictable that uh, i i don't understand why someone you, you you think it would be more like doing the tonight show or something where they pre-interview you and go oh this guy sucks you know
0: yeah yeah i by the way i don't know i assume you did the tonight show at some point did you ever do that yeah.
1: What was that kind of stuff fun for you to like do those oh. kind of shows? Well, that was so much fun. I really liked doing David Letterman was fun. He seems like he would just be fun
0: to hang out
1: with. Oh, fun. David Letterman was fun, uh, Dick Cabot was fun. I did Dick Cabot, I did Michael Douglas. <laughs> you know, I grew up with
0: Michael Douglas and Dick Cabot, not literally grow up with them, but when I was a kid and I came home, and like I said, we're the same age, so I'm not saying that I watched you when I was a kid, but the Michael Douglas show was on in the afternoon, and I, as a young, as a, I don't know, a young teenager or even junior high kid, I saw a lot of really great stuff on him. Also, people forget about Dinah Shore. Dinah yeah. Shore had a great show.
1: Sure. But I did, um, what's his name? Oh, the other guy. Uh. But Merv Griffin? Merv Griffin. I did Merv Griffin, I think. He was think also I, great.
0: Yeah. I mean, all there was some and back then, at least maybe from my kids' point of view, the the celebs and the actors and whoever who went on didn't feel like they just had pat answers and prepared, you know, panel discussion or whatever. I they, felt like they
1: interview you to see if you were fun. They pre-interview wow. you and which was smart because then they would have a whole sort of a bit prepared for you. It was it was smart to pre-interview. You would think that a lot of the news shows would do that a bit more. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's plenty I and you no know, producers available to do it, but I sometimes I don't think they pre-interview people. I think
0: that some of the celebrities have a lot of power and say no to certain things and they feel like there's a there's a balance where if you want to have the latest musical star or the latest acting star from something, you, they, they can, you know, have more power than the talk show. I don't know if it's accurate, but it feels that way to me.
1: I don't know. I have no idea. I always thought it was the publicist.
0: <laughs> well, that's a whole. We can talk about publicists, but I don't know that we want to go down that rabbit hole. But that's a whole that is a whole interesting world too that I feel exists in Los Angeles and New York. And I don't know where else.
1: I was just at a wedding, Jim Giannopoulos, daughter, Mimi, it was a delightful wedding. And I ran into my old publicist, this guy, Alan Nirob, who was my publicist at Rogers and Callen. I ran into a lot of people at that wedding, but it was so fun seeing him and his wife and, and, uh, just reminiscing about how silly
0: the world was back then. Well, you know, it's funny. There, was a, there may be perceived as a certain uh, innocence at that time. I, as, I know we're jumping all over the place, but please roll with me, and if there's a problem, you'll tell I me. Like- um, I have friends who are screenwriters, and as you know, there's been some craziness with the agencies. And how they deal with screenwriters and packaging. And um, I personally, as an attorney, am concerned for talent that gets an agent that doesn't just represent them, but somehow ends up representing their own interest in packaging. It seems so blatantly a conflict of interest to me. And um, I just, what do you think, looking from where you're sitting?
1: Well, you know, it it just depends. Uh, There are agencies that represent all parties involved. There are agencies that represent the producer and the writer that the producer hires. So I, I don't think that it's such a foreign subject. But knowing that your agent is making money as a production company or a packager or producer of it's a little odd, you know, it's an odd concept. We're gonna to have to see how it works out. Because there, there are, my husband might represent a star and a producer, an independent producer, or uh, there are agencies that represent, you know, several entities within a film. You know, they might represent a, a producer and they might represent a writer and, and a star.
0: But your, your husband, as an attorney, has to let everybody know all the comp- potential conflicts. Tell them, I'm representing all of you. And everybody has to sign off on it.
1: But doesn't the agency have to let you know?
0: I have no idea because technically they're not lawyers. I don't know what their responsibilities are. And then there's managers who have a whole other lack of responsibility, too, because <laughs> they, don't, they don't even have to comply with the laws that the agents have to, which makes the agents crazy. That's a whole, and I'm not even in LA, but because I follow the business and I'm sort of a part of it, I, I, there's a whole um, uh, soap opera just around this particular topic and around these people. Um,
1: and so, well, a lot I, more expected of managers in a lot of ways.
0: Say that again. I'm sorry.
1: A lot more is expected of managers. Those are the ones that are going to show up and get you out of jail, or <laughs> you know drive to where you're where you're flipped out and holed up in some weird hotel in Palm Springs with a AK forty seven and a and a you know quarter ounce of Coke meth or you know and they gotta mm-hmm. talk off the ledge. You know, those are that's what a manager needs to do. You're Plus, making it
0: sound like an episode of
1: Entourage. And he's supposed to yeah, you know that that's what <laughs> And, and they have to look at a big picture. There's some agents that would do that. There's some entertainment attorneys that would do that. Do you ever
0: watch any shows about the business and think, oh, that's real or, oh, that's crap or I'm sure. Right now? Well, for instance, I used to watch Entourage. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there were some things about that that were so true. It was terrifying. Sure. <laughs> the the misogyny for
1: instance. I, I, I could tell you Michael stories till you fainted, so
0: I, I well that I think we'll reserve that for a time when we grab a drink together when you're in the city, yeah or yes. a coffee or whatever yeah with your husband and my wife, of course, all completely legit. <laughs> I don't want people to write in about how I'm inappropriate um. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to take a complete, well, it's not a complete sideways turn. Let, let's talk about writing, because at some point, about 10 or 15 years ago, you wrote a novel. Yeah. Uh, called Trophy? Trophies? Trophies. Um, is that still available for people? I'm...
1: Um, Yeah, it, they bombayed it pretty hard. What happened was... Um, I was a Judith Reagan book and under Judith Reagan's signature, Judith Reagan that year got in a fight with the president of Harper Collins. Remember that lady? And she fired her and tried to frame Judith Reagan as anti-Semitic. I was just cannon fodder in that thing. So she fires Judith Reagan but they still have my contract. So they don't want Judith Reagan's books had beaten every other signature within HarperCollins every year. And that lady didn't want to make it look like she just fired a golden goose. So she bombayed a lot of the Judith Reagan books that year. And mine was put under the romance novels, it's a comedy.
0: You know, what's interesting is that is such a show business thing.
1: Put in every bookstore, they wouldn't put me in the new releases. They put it in the romance novel, like next to the Fabio books, two books to every bookstore. And then the woman had the audacity to say, don't worry, we'll do better for you, your next book. And I said, I saw her and I and then she was like fired the next day for doing that.
0: This is a kind of thing that has happened. You know, first of all, for people who don't understand this, publishing is show business. It's just another part of show business. Yeah. But it, in, in film, it's seen much more where a whole new bunch of people come into the production company, and any projects that were ongoing with the old people who now left are, to use the term, shit canned because nobody wants them to succeed. They all want their new projects to be seen as good. So anybody who had something coming out, suddenly it's not coming out at Christmas. It's coming out like in February or like sometime when nobody cares. And it may even just go into turnaround. Uh, you know, this is a thing that happens more often have than not.
1: I many times. <laughs> I have written <laughs> scripts. I was making a living for like four years selling the same script.
0: Well, that's also an interesting thing that people who don't have any idea about Hollywood don't understand, which is lots of people write really great scripts that no one will ever see.
1: Yeah. They they get combated or somebody buys it and just keeps renewing the option, but they never get it together to make it.
0: Right, and just so if you don't understand this, when somebody sells a script, Um, One of the ways that this happens is they sell someone the option to make it, um, which basically gives them the right with for two or three years, depending on the arrangement. And if they don't make it, then the rights revert back to the screenwriter and they can resell it somewhere else. It's hard, though, because when you're reselling it, people in the business know, oh, I thought that was sold to so-and-so. They never made it. I guess it must not be worth it. We're not going to. Oh, geez. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Again, that's a lot of inside baseball for showbiz. But again, there's plenty of people who are known in the business who are writing good scripts and they're just they don't get made because, oh, we ran out of money at the end of the year. Or, oh, yes, somebody already did a volcano movie or who knows what the reason is. But the writing, you know, we're all told that the writing is what's important.
1: uh, The executive move. They either got a better offer or they were fired. But, you know, that's the hard part. You know, until you reach a certain level, as a writer, you can't dictate what's going to (sighs) happen. Right. You don't make this movie, you know, it can't go into, you know, it can't. can't, if, If the executive gets fired, then I get it immediately. You can't put clauses like that
0: in writers just and maybe i'm wrong but my experience is that literally maybe three writers have that much power um whereas actors and actresses there are more people who can open a movie let's say or you know get what they are asking for just because they're asking for it um which is weird because every every professional I know says the most important part of that process is the script. No script, no movie, right?
1: There's very, it's, it's so narrow now. It used to be there was lots of people that could open a movie. Not, not true now. There, it's, there's maybe a handful of actors that can really open a movie. And, uh, There's only a handful of types of movies that are always selling,
0: you know. Well, you know, I've heard people like Martin Scorsese uh, rail against the superhero movies. And at first I thought, oh, you know, he's just an upset older guy. But having seen, you know, several in a row on my television, uh, I think he's right.
1: I'm really ready for like a movie about people. Say that again? Business. And, you know, progressively, the studios consolidated and consolidated and consolidated until, you know, everything is going to end up being Disney and Amazon, you know, and maybe, maybe uh, Netflix, that's about it. But Netflix took a dive, didn't it?
0: Yeah, they let go of a bunch of people. And, well, you know, Netflix is a sort of a mystery. They don't tell people anything. So, you know, when you don't tell anybody anything, it's a little like Instagram. You show a picture of your best meals. You know, so I have a really great meal. And here I am in Sicily, and I just bought this watch. Isn't my life great? And you don't see, like, the other 23 and a half hours of what's going on. That's true. So I think that Netflix is, uh, to use the chicken analogy, the roosters, or whatever, the chickens are coming home to roost. Um, They are, you know, Apple seems to be doing well with shows. Uh, But, you know, we've both been around for a while. The pendulum swings all over the place.
1: It'll keep swinging. I think we're all going to end up being Amazon and Disney (laughs)
0: <laughs> we're just going to be owned by Amazon, Disney, and Google.
1: Yeah, all Entertainment will be Disney.
0: Well, we could do worse, I'm sure. By the way, if you think that we, uh, we're not right and you want to talk to me about it, go to www.isthatreallylegal.com. You can leave me a message and tell me that you hate Disney or that we're completely wrong. But I will say that Disney has gone through a ton of evolutions themselves during our lifetime. Yeah. Yes, When they came out with Touchstone Pictures and Splash was their first movie, speaking of women in bikinis, um, they had Tom Hanks, Daryl Hannah in a really fun movie, in my opinion. Uh, But it was not with the Disney brand because, you know, you had Daryl Hannah naked uh, coming out of the water. And um, so they created this other imprint, if you will, called Touchstone. And then they put out several movies.
1: And they had pictures before that. And then they had had tons of uh, companies within the company.
0: They are far from done. I mean, they've made some missteps like everybody's made some missteps. But when you have a lot of cash, you can make mistakes and recover.
1: (laughs) I think they know what they're doing.
0: I wouldn't bet you know, against them. Way,
1: at the wedding, Bob Iger was at our table and <laughs> will Bay, And um, of course I was sitting next to Michael Chiklis, And of course, we said, let's ask him. And we all said, Hey Bob, Ron DeSantis. And we all laughed and laughed.
0: Oh God. So we I all- have to I have to, as the kids say, unpack this. Because you've dropped some names and, and you have every right to. But for people who don't know Bob Iger, um, is he running Disney now, or did he at one time run Disney or none of those things? He ran Disney. Right. But um,
1: He made after, Disney.
0: He's a genius. That's after Michael Eisner, right? Or Yes. Got it. But Bob Chick just so you Chicklist My- is the he was the guy from the Shield and the Commission, yeah. right? He's a laughter.
1: But he's a lovely man. His wife is lovely. They're both lovely people.
0: I have a friend who has a major crush on him, who you might know from Twitter. I don't want to out her. She loves The Shield. I still have to admit, I still haven't seen that show. I think I need to, like, watch the whole show.
1: Fabulous. And Michael's great in it.
0: Yeah, I hear it's, it's great. And that was an FX show, I think. Anyway. <laughs> so you're at. So what's it, it must be surreal to go to a friend's kid's wedding and you are there with like multi, multi zillionaires and people whose work, I, I don't know. I mean, I just, or is it like, oh, it's just part of Los Angeles and you get used to it. I up
1: out here. I've been seeing that since I was a kid.
0: Do you remember the first movie star you
1: ever saw? Oh my God. Probably. I think Tab Hunter. I think my mom almost let me drown in the ocean because she was chatting up Tab Hunter at the beach.
0: That's a name I I haven't heard too much. on. He recently passed, I think. I'm sorry. But he was one of those guys who was a real superstar and I heard great things about him.
1: Um, No, I grew up out there. I mean, I remember I was making a a movie in Toronto at the same time they were shooting three men and the baby. And every Friday night there was a party on the roof uh, because thrown by the three men, the baby uh, group. And I remember everybody saying, Oh, wow, look, there's Leonard Nimoy. And all I could think about is him saying, are you fucking kids smoking in the backyard? You know, I, I just, you know, so many of these guys were like parents that I was in trouble with, you know, so you, you get a totally different perspective. So it was like, hello, Mr. Nimoy. It, it, it. <laughs> That's great. I you- like growing up out here, you know, I, I had a manager that goes, oh everybody in the world's marching around here. It's no big deal. So yeah, but I I mean there's always somebody that you're in awe of.
0: Is there anyone who, if you saw them today, you'd be a little tongue-tied? Oh,
1: sure. Sure. There's a million great people that I would be tongue-tied. I'm not saying I'm eau blase about celebrities, but I'm just saying they're here.
0: Right, right.
1: You know, it's like New York. It's the same thing.
0: Yeah, you know... That's true. I remember when I saw my first couple of shoots happening in New York and seeing real live actors. And, and of course, I, I did have an acting career. And uh, when you say three men and a baby, I was in a movie with Tom Selleck, who when I saw him, I was like, I've never seen such a big and handsome man in my life as Tom Selleck. He was very nice. And um, it was a movie called The Love Letter, which was a sweet little comedy, a little romantic comedy that Kate Capshaw was in and directed. No, excuse me, didn't direct, she produced. And it was shot in New England. And um, that's when I learned that actors are people because we had a scene. And on a break, he said to me he was worried that he might get fired. And I thought in my head, you're freaking Magnum P.I.? This is like 1999, I think. Like, I'm, why, how is he going to get fired? He said he didn't think that the director liked what he did. And I've since spoken to several actors, even on the show. And you, I've discovered that people do get fired. <laughs> like, actors get hired. Yeah. And sometimes they get fired yeah. right on set. Yes. even Even big deal actors. Yes. So, you know, we all have our our foibles, we all have our, you know, we're all people, as they say. So I I had the fortune of running into Christine Baranski on a subway here in New York, mm-hmm. and I just, I said a quick hi, I didn't want to bother her, but she's Christine Baranski, and I just think she's the greatest. And she I just would... chatted. You'd be I... off? Yeah. yeah. Well, she just chatted me up for like 10, 15 minutes on the subway. And I, I kept thinking I should just, I should leave, but I couldn't leave myself because I had
1: to go uptown. Um, Did you but, for an entertainment attorney?
0: Uh, I was acting at the time. I was actually in an off-Broadway show, um, which was not, she, she had just done uh, Mama Mia. And so she was in New York for publicity, I think. She's tall, and she has the best posture of any human being I have ever seen.
1: I good posture. I have terrible posture. <laughs> Did you ever do dance? Was, was that a thing? Was, what?
0: Did you ever do dance?
1: I was never, I, I never had a dancer's body. You need a short waist, and I have, like, too long a waist. It's a long story. But um, I danced in shows. That's how I got an agent. At UCLA, I was in, in the boom-boom room, and I had a big solo dancing. I was, a, I was a go-go girl in a cowgirl outfit. And I danced, and, I, and it was like a two-piece cowgirl outfit with little boots, and I danced to break on through to the other side in a solo.
0: I can't think of a more Los Angeles thing. (laughs) A go-go girl in a Western outfit with a Doors song. That's about as LA as it gets.
1: I know, and I was the scene change dance. When they needed to move all the sets and change the scene, I was the big long solo that I stood on the edge of the stage and humped at senior citizens that came there on a bus.
0: So you pulled focus, as we said. Yes. Well, I'm, sure, I'm sure nobody noticed that there was a set change while you were dancing in that outfit. Compliment. No, good job. I, I, don't, I have nothing to say about it. We'll just, I'm going to make the worst transition possible. And I want to talk about fly fishing. I have some dear friends who are passionate about fly fishing who, have, who go to Canada to fly fish who go to Bolivia to fly fish and they fly fish for all kinds of, I mean, they use fly rods from marlin, bonefish, trout, steelheads. Um, and they. Old in and Bolivia. I mean, all over the place. So what drew you to being involved in fly fish?
1: This guy that uh, I had had a car accident where I couldn't do as extreme of sports as I used to. There's no kite. Uh, I had to slow down a little bit. I, I still surf, but I had to wear a brace. And we and, uh, sort of, let's go fly fishing. And I found women tend to excel at it when we really put our mind to it. Um, and for me, it's like looking for buried treasure. It does not have the same collection of nerves when you're putting that book I fish barbless, so you have less than a second to get it to hook the fish. I don't fish with bait because that's not sporting. Um, I fish with flies, or you know, uh, I fish with uh, yeah, flies—either floating flies or underwater flies. And do you, uh, do you tie your
0: own fish- flies, or do you? I, I my I friend, I'm not one
1: of those people that sits there with a magnifying glass taking. One thread of a feather. No. That's not me.
0: That's a whole other art form. I think.
1: A whole nother thing. That's a whole nother level of intense. It, it's a good OCD, it's good for OCD people, but it's not my thing. But I do love fishing because it's like it's like looking for buried treasure. You have to be aware of of, uh, you know, first your cast and getting a drag-free drift and getting a at the moment, the the sunlight, the wind, the uh, different currents of water. You want to get it right in the seam or a foam line. You want to get it um, on the, you know, depending on what kind of water you have. If you're in the ocean, it's completely different than if you're in a creek, which is completely different than if you're in a lake. And... You know, if you're fishing above water, it's completely different than if you're fishing below water.
0: And being outside in the kind of places where you would be able to fly fish is probably just, in and of itself, that's a wonderful time.
1: It's glorious. And you have to also be aware of the structure of where you are, giant boulders. I mean, you're always in a canyon when you're fishing on water. There's always it's always going to have greenery and be lush, unless you go to Argentina where it's kind of bleak in these weird wind swept areas where it's just tundra. But it's always outside and there's eagles and moose and creatures, bears and wolves and I've seen everything on the river, and uh, it's another way of listening to nature very intensely. And I, th- I catch and release. I, I rarely kill fish. Uh, if it's a hatchery fish, I might kill it.
0: Well, it's interesting. My friends also do what they call, they give free lip piercings and they just let them back out. Um, and it just seems like everything around there, there's the athleticism of using your body in a, in a very specific way um, because as much as it may look beautiful, I know from other things, it, it's probably very difficult to get to the place where you make it look easy to cast a fly rod.
1: Well, it's, it's the, the bend in your rod, and, and, but it's mostly the weight of the line that carries the rod out.
0: I think there's also probably an ability to do less. Is that
1: accurate? You get to a point where ergonomically it looks like you're doing a lot less. And it is, if you're getting tired out, that would be your, a beginner at my age, I can, I do a lot less. (laughs) Well. I house in the wind and, you know.
0: You seem pretty active to me. Um, have you, when's the last time you went fly fishing?
1: Oh, well, last fall around there. I'm going fly fishing a lot in August, and I'm going to try and fly fish at the end of this month.
0: Is that something you
1: do, you do that with your husband? Wyoming. We have a family home there. Uh, and there you can go fishing in a myriad of um, areas but uh, you know it's blown out parts of Yellowstone are blown out right now. I was with a friend of mine last night there was an event here for the Board of Conservation International my husband's on that board and and, uh, all the board members were here and one of the guys lives right on the Yellowstone River and he had a raft tied to his front door Wow. River's blown out, which I know all the animals in Yellowstone are going, yay, because there aren't going to be any people. And it's like a giant gift to them. Um, so I don't know. You know, June 3rd, uh, Jackson Lake, which is a man-made lake. But Jackson Lake, the, the docks were dry. They were sitting on dry land. Wow! There was snow on the mountains and you know snowing the puddles, but uh, there was hardly any water. I bet it's full now. And and uh, if because they were expecting more rain, they had something like five inches in two days.
0: Oh my god! And,
1: and in northern Yellowstone, the northern part of the park, it wiped out a lot of the roads through the park, so that's closed till October. But there'll be a. I, I love the Yellowstone River, but I think I know that the um, South Fork is happening because you can see Henry Winkler enjoying himself every day. I'm so jealous. That's where I love the fish. I've actually done those goofy fly fishing shows on that river. I well, know that sounds like a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. It's like looking for buried treasure. So,
0: uh, Wyoming. Uh, people. Say that again.
1: You meet great people.
0: That also sounds like a lot of fun. And do you go with your husband? Is he a big fisherman too?
1: Yeah, my husband's one of the best fly fishermen in the world. He would've dumped me if I couldn't fish.
0: Well, I just love, um, you know, my friends are a couple also, and they love to do that together. It's just nice when, you know, and someone's not getting dragged. Or saying go off without me, And you know, there's things that we all do separately from our spouses, but it's nice when you can enjoy something together. I think that's you know a lovely thing.
1: Sometimes we'll get in the same boat, but not not a lot. We get really competitive. But he's he's really he's like out of his, He's fished for our nation. He's been on the U.S. fly fishing team a bunch of times. Wow. They actually have a world fly fishing contest where they carry little signs and they wear blazers and they march around and this is France and it's, they're all deadly serious as a heart attack and they get beats on a river or on a lake and it's a world contest, but he's good. He can, he can cast, you know, 150 yards sometimes with these big rods or he can catch anything. He catches those gold golden dorado that are like this big yeah. catches taimen. I put him in Mongolia when Mongolia first opened up, and he went and caught a bunch of taimen. He he's caught those arapaya things that are like the biggest freshwater fish, and he'll he'll go bone fishing. He fishes all over the world. Exactly what you were describing. Passionate about it. We yeah. have five rooms in this house. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's cool. I, my friends have shown me tarpon, too. Those are pretty wild fish. I mean, Um, I'm going to shift a little bit to activism. We've talked a little bit about, you know, being aware of the, I don't know, the abuse of women in showbiz, or whatever, but the abuse of the planet, you know, impacts your fly fishing. Like you were just saying, rivers getting blown out, other places being completely dry. The, the climate change thing is so apparent for sports fishermen. Uh, are you involved in anything involving climate change? Is that one of your things?
1: Um, I'm on the board of the Amazon conservation team, uh, which uh, works through the indigenous people of the rainforest. Uh, it's Mark Plotkin's organization. He uh, is a world's leading ethnobotanist which is the interaction between people and plants. Uh, he's, you know, like a Harvard fellow and he's big, you know, important smarty pants over at the Smithsonian and all that. But he, uh, for instance, he unionized all the shamans in Colombia.
0: That and sounds like a movie. Yeah.
1: That's- <laughs> he was able to map unmapped, he was by giving GPSs to shaman, they were able to map three million miles of rainforest, square miles, and preserve it because they take the, you know, we always want to go down there with our patriarchal ideas. We're going to buy this rainforest and save it. Yeah, like anybody pays any attention to that. Um, But the indigenous people have a real say and Mark also helps you have to preserve the culture is just as precious as the species of trees. Uh, the culture is precious and, and uh, they have a knowledge that we could. I mean, all our medicine comes from there. It comes from yeah. some nature and, and uh, so much of our foodstuffs, the, the uh, seed germs for corn, they have to go back and get that from the rainforest every year and, And uh, it's the lungs of the planet. It's the filter of the planet. There's parts of that to conserve. Um, And I lobbied for the NRDC, which I learned. I used to laugh at this other woman. Lori David got me involved with that. And I say, I wish I didn't know what I know. Oh, yeah. I, I can tell you in the 90s, the late 80s and 90s, we knew the interiors of continents were going to heat up first. And the first signs of global warming is going to be erratic weather patterns. And you're going to see very cold winters or very hot summers or strange phantom tornadoes appear out of nowhere. Uh, you're going to see more people die in a heat wave than any other weather event. Mm-hmm. And uh, just look at, it. it's happening in India now, they're not being able to grow a lot of food. Yeah. It's a spot where there's a monso- there are monsoons that are that are not occurring at the usual time of year and they're extreme and they're happening in areas where they usually don't happen.
0: Yes, I mean, that, everything you're saying is accurate and I, I appreciate you being active and everybody who brings any of this to anyone's attention. I, I'm, I'm very keenly aware of the fact that I don't have you for a lot more time. And we should wrap up soon. I would be neglectful if we didn't talk about your chickens. Um, I showed my wife earlier tonight, uh, some video that you took of your chickens. And um, again, this is a thing about LA and New York. I live in Brooklyn and there are chickens on people's rooftops and there are people who are really into chickens in Brooklyn, not, not in my building and not everywhere, but it's a thing. So when did you become passionate about, by the way, I think when you're the kind of person, when you find something you like, you get passionate about it, you know, fly fishing, environmentalism, chickens. So what is it about chickens?
1: Chickens. Um, I think there was a salmonella scare and my youngest daughter and I decided to get chickens. Um, I had had a garden tour of the house. Somebody had conned me into being on this garden tour. And through that, I accidentally got eight lovebirds and they never stopped loving. And it was like, they were 30 all of a sudden. And so I had this big 80, um, what do you call it? Uh, a aviary built, and uh, for the, these lovebirds, and then uh, so it wasn't that big a stretch to just build a chicken coop next to it, and uh, we got the original eight chickens. One of them, Doctor Taco, just died this year, two uh, months ago. She um, was fourteen. Oh, wow,
0: I had yeah. no idea that a chicken could live that long.
1: Neither uh, did I. We thought she was 11, and then the vet came the night she was, she was ailing, shush, and um, she, um, he reminded us, no, no, she's older than that, she's 14, and we <laughs> all peeked out. This vet came over the night she was dying, but uh, yeah, I mean, these are great.
0: I feel like They're your dog garden. is a publicist you telling me that... They-
1: and you get a garden fertilizer, you have eggs that you know don't have salmonella, because and,
0: she keeps your poop clean. I, I feel like your dog is a publicist I'm telling fine. me that I don't have much more time with you. Um, but I love the names that you have of some of your chickens. One is named Gold in My Year. Yes. Is there is there a reason that your chickens have certain names?
1: She looks like Gold in My Year, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> hard to argue. I don't know. It just pops in my head. It really really pops in my head. I'll I'll look at I looked at this one giant lavender orange and I said your name is (laughs) Peter Bill." That's
0: a great name for
1: a big animal. Yeah big gray chicken.
0: Well Heather is there anything you wish that I had asked you about or that you should have talked about while we were uh, doing this interview?
1: I'm glad we didn't talk about politics because I would probably just burst the whole time. Freaks me out. Do you you ever go to bed thinking, 99% of the people in this country aren't seeing it? Yes, that's exactly, that's
0: what I was screaming at my wife about tonight, God bless her. I was like, everyone is just, we're watching these things, we, the few of us who are watching this, and other people are like, oh, I'm bored. This is an interesting, you know, and they're just going to blithely walk into a set of rotating knives because they're not paying attention. And I feel like Cassandra, Cassandra. We are
1: sitting ducks, sitting ducks unless people get really serious about their volunteering and they register voters. And we really do need youth influencers to get deadly serious because this is. It's just too serious. I I can't even go into it.
0: I'm going to start cursing. Let me use this opportunity to tell people I volunteered for the Biden campaign. And one of the things that we were able to do, it was during the pandemic. And we worked from our home with a computer and our phone. And they had this really cool software and they gave us all these phone lists. And it was Mm -hmm. very simple. And sometimes we'd be calling people they thought were not interested and the best thing we could do was confirm they weren't interested. So that's where we weren't putting our energy. Just you something is.
1: Let's either talk to them on the phone, talk to them door knocking. If people don't want to, if people don't step up and volunteer this year, we're dead meat.
0: Yeah. And um,
1: I just keep saying, I, I just pray that people are registering kids at these concerts all summer. Yeah,
0: you know, there used to be this thing, Rock the Vote. I don't know if they still do that. Rock the Vote
1: is very active. Um, They even have some wonderful things, like you can get some software or something, a program from Rock the Vote, where you can register register people on your website. Or when we all vote, Michelle Obama's thing, you can join registration events. and, And- I'll join a team registering voters. We need to register voters. We need to get out the vote. And it's deadly serious. It's going to be hell. It's I, I, I think you we were
0: able to do this without us losing a mic.
1: I think I just <laughs> want to have a cocktail now. You made me want to drink.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, or you're welcome.
1: Uh, uh, I, I've, got, uh, I, I've got to disassociate for at least an evening.
0: Yeah, I you're not the only one uh, during the Trump administration, especially during the pandemic. I perfected my Negroni recipe and added quite a few pounds to myself in the process. So, uh, but, you know, Henry Thomas, I think we were able to do this without my blood pressure being too high. And I just want to I want to thank you for being on. Is that really legal with Eric Rubin? You were as delightful as I hoped you would be, and it's such a pleasure and an honor to get to talk to you.
1: Thank you. And you were just wonderful too. I love looking. I love looking at your tweets. (laughs) Oh my God! You made my day. Of anybody on the planet, number one. Oh, you're so sweet. So soulful and natural and honest.
0: You're very kind and I really appreciate you and enjoy your evening. Enjoy your many animals, your husband, your children. (laughs) I I, I, I will see you. (laughs) I'm like, whoa,
1: what's that like? Oh, I love it. I tortured my kids. You know, they say, (laughs) what do you want your grandma name to be? And I said, oh, great. You know what happens? You get a grandma name Uh and then your name. They never call you your name for the rest of your life. And then they take all your shit and put you in a home. And I said, so, and the first name they asked me if I wanted to be was Yaya. And I said, I am not an old Greek lady with sticks on her back. No, I mean, that sounds terrible, but that's what I felt like. They were asking me that I was the villager with the back. Anyway, so I said, no. So I thought of the most obnoxious thing I could do to Bother my daughters. So I told them Coolio. (laughs) So my grandchildren (laughs) call me Coolio. (laughs) I'm not kidding. Oh man, well they come over, Coolio. Can I have some (laughs) man? Sure.
0: For people who are too young to understand that, uh, they should Google Coolio. Uh Gangster's Paradise is now running through my head. (laughs) I do not own the rights to that, so I can't play it as our exit music. But Heather, thank you.
1: How much silently?
0: (laughs) Everybody can play it in their heads. Uh, Heather Thomas, thanks so much. Have a lovely evening.
1: You too,
0: Eric. Oh my God, I had so much fun talking with Heather Thomas. I hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation. Do you like these kind of things? Do you want to hear more? Why don't you go to www.isthatreallylegal.com, leave me a message and tell me who you think I should talk to. Um, tell me how you've been liking the show. I will respond to you. Uh, please rate the show, subscribe to the show, share it with your friends, eat an Abe's muffin, and remember, now more than ever, let's take care of each other. Let's uh, give some money to candidates who support uh, taking care of each other. Let's work for some of those candidates. And let's uh, not forget that we're not here just to make a lot of money and screw people over. Okay? All right. With that, please take care of each other. And I will speak with you soon. Take care. Bye-bye.